Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. I hope you all are having a great Labor Day weekend. This is Josh. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how's it going? Doing good. Uh, enjoying the long weekend. Obviously, we still have one more day going here. Everyone will be starting to listen maybe on that day off, hopefully enjoying a Labor Day Monday. Um, but uh, had a good weekend. Got a little rowdy there with a wedding involved. And uh, I'm excited for this episode. It's going to be a little bit of a different vibe in a positive way this time. And I'm uh, very excited. Very, very excited. I'm excited for it too. And we're going to start off with one of those differences right now because it's not just Luca and me tonight. We have back by popular demand. I don't know popular demand, but he was on the show before on our Sean McDermott episode. Stokes, he's going to join us because we have something fun in store for this episode that I think is going to be entertaining for those of you out there that have been with the Bills for long enough to remember some of the pain in their history. Stokes, how's it going tonight? I'm doing very well. It's a, it's a very exciting week ahead of us. It really is. We are, let me just do the quick math in my head here. So it is Monday right now when you're listening. So we will just assume it's Monday. We have one, two, three, four more sleeps. Monday night, Tuesday, no, three more sleeps until the first game of the biggest season of all of our lives. The Bills are the betting favorite to win the entire Super Bowl. And that sentence just sounds so weird rolling off my tongue. The Buffalo Bills, who spent two decades not being able to figure it out, are the betting favorites. And I, like many of you out there, am just in this mental pretzel of how to process that. There's a part of me that just wants to fast forward to January and find out, can they close the door on a game that they should win to get themselves in position to go to the Super Bowl. And then there's a part of me that remembers how painful it was for those two decades. And I just want to enjoy the ride where the Bills go on the road and play a good team, but they're favored to beat them. And they have this all-world quarterback, which by the way, if you paid attention for those two decades, they didn't always have that. And a lot of Bills fans, I think, are really struggling with how to process this. And that's what we're going to try to untangle tonight is because the three of us on this show are Bills fans, and we've been with the Bills fans through some of the highest of highs recently and some of the lowest of lows, but we haven't all hit that peak high that we're hoping the Bills hit this year. So I want to have a conversation tonight with Luca and Stokes and just take the temperature of how we are feeling. How are we doing on the brink of this season where the Bills are going to kick off against the defending Super Bowl champions as a favorite on the road and as the overall league favorite to hoist the trophy. Before we get into certain topics and certain certain specific things I want to talk about, Luca, when I lay that all out there like that, does it just feel like it's not even our, our like it's a dream we're going to wake up from? Um, I wouldn't even say that. No, this seems this seems real. I I don't think this is a dream. I don't think this is something that all of a sudden come Thursday um, when we're watching that first game to kick off the season that it's going to just feel like as if we snapped out of it and we woke up from this dream and now reality has smashed us in the face in a negative impact. I think it's all real. This is, this is real. Everything this, the buildup of this off season, everything we've heard in the media, our personal opinions and discussions and all of that nature, it, there's a, there's a calculated reason for it. There's it's, it's a beautiful thing. There's a reason for optimism. There's a reason for the betting favorite to be labeled for this Buffalo bills team. 
and it's all going to be present on Thursday. I don't think that's going to be something that we may have that downer. Obviously, there might be discussions about that later in this episode, but just real quick. Yeah, no, this is not a dream. This is not something that feels abnormal or different and just is only something that occurs while you're laying your head at night. No, this is every waking minute of every day. We are going to be talking about where this team is in relation to how are they going to lift the Lombardi in February? Because that realistically is where this team finds themselves in a situation going into the 2022 season. And I love it. I love every bit of it. We've obviously talked in a way that I don't think anyone's thought any differently in the way I feel about this team. And I'm very, very excited to go down this journey and restart this week. And boy, am I pumped up, very pumped up. We do start this week, and that is something we have to get to on this show. Later on in the show, we are going to do a full deep dive into this matchup against the LA Rams, talk about certain matchups that favor the Bills, certain matchups that are concerning. So if you are in the mood to listen to a preview on that game, which we hope you are because it is game week, we have that for you, so don't worry about it. But at the outset of this show, I do want to just get into the overall emotion of the situation. And Stokes, you and I have been friends now going back to about 2010, but I know you're a Bills fan that dates back to the early stages of the drought, even into the 90s. And I want to start off with this topic, and I'll start with you, Stokes. We've been through a lot as Bills fans, and I'm hoping that this episode and this roundtable is going to be something that quenches the thirst of Bills fans like us who survived the 17-year drought and had some really hopeless times, and also quenches the thirst of maybe some newer Bills fans that either because of age or because they just decided, hey, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs are cool. That's a fun team to root for. I'm going to be a Bills fan. Maybe that can bridge the gap for them and try and help explain why this is such a big deal to us. Um, so I'm hoping the conversation we have is good for the longtime fan and for the newer fan, and we welcome all fans in this show. Stokes, was there a point in your Bills fan life, I don't want to say give up hope because that is awfully dark, but was there a, a moment that sticks out to you in the 17-year drought that just felt lower than the rest? Um, I I don't think there has been like any singular point. I think the, the main thing that um, would get to me would be that we just wouldn't be so bad that we could get like a top pick. Um, I know we ended up getting you know number three um, to Gadarius, but we were never so bad to where we were just like the laughing stock and couldn't get like the the top quarterback prospect and that that futility um, where you're just not bad enough to get the great quarterback but not good enough to be in the hunt. Um, that's that's what was frustrating um, to me as a as a Bills fan, but there wasn't really a point where I had gotten close to giving up because um, I, loving the Bills is is just is just passion, and um, the fandom is is what keeps us coming back. And even even when we're we're not so great, the fandom is what continues to the, the camaraderie there is what what keeps us going. Yeah. And I guess I should have phrased that better. What I didn't mean was like, give up your bills fandom more. So was there a point where you just gave up hope that we would ever see the bills get across the line and get to a Super Bowl? And you bring up a great point. And I think a lot about 2010 for that a season where the bills started off. zero and eight, and then they went on to win four of their last eight games and cost themselves Cam Newton. And that was the same year that Andrew Luck 
decided at the last minute he wasn't going to come out of the draft. So even if they had won those four games and Andrew Luck comes out, there's a chance that they still would have gotten Cam Newton and just little missteps along the way, trading up for JP Lossman and then the next year not needing a quarterback when Aaron Rodgers would have fallen into their laps. You don't miss the playoff 17 years in a row without making some missteps along the way. Luca, is there a moment during that time, during your lifetime, during your fandom that steps that sticks out to you as like the low moment? It's a great question. I mean, so it's weird only because, and we've discussed this back in very early episodes, but I was at that week 17 Pittsburgh game and it didn't, we didn't know we were in a drought yet. I'm a little kid. We didn't know we were in a drought yet. We had just made the playoffs at that point of, you know, a few seasons prior, but it was a game of which you you essentially walked into it you thinking you were a shoe in. You're going to just face these second and third stringer players on your home soil and all you need to do is walk out with a win and you're in. That's all it was. And somehow some way this team found a way to not only lose but almost essentially get embarrassed. We didn't know who Willie Parker was. We didn't know who these guys out on the field at that time would end up being. So it kind of became less embarrassing when you really step back and look at it now. But at the time it was just, I don't think I said one word to my, I believe I was at the game with my mother. I can't remember for sure. Shout out her third episode in a row. I can't remember who I was there with, but I remember like just being so down, just being like, how in the world could something like this happen? Just, it, it seemed like it was destined to, we were going to win. We're going to make the playoffs. Everything is going to write itself. And somehow that just, it was a very, very low day. Like, I don't remember feeling good about anything outside of, I, I don't even know how to put it. I just don't feel good about anything that day. Like dinner didn't taste good. Going to sleep sucked. Everything was bad. Not one thing could go right. And little did I know, little me was not going to experience playoff football with this Bills team for a very long time afterwards. And it almost compounded itself. It was a game that I would remember for years and years and years and look back at and be like this streak that 17 year streak would have never been a thing if we would have just won that damn game like it's just a crazy thing that would just build on itself year after year after year after seven and nine seven and nine six and ten like all those years and you just like if only we like it became a butt end of a joke at one point it's like if only we beat the backup of the Steelers week 17 we wouldn't be talking about 12 year drought, 13 year drought, whatever it was at that point in time that it almost became a low point, even lower every season afterwards. But even on that day, it was a very, very low point in my young Bills fandom that I just I'll never forget it. I'll ne I will say even with all backups and stuff, that stadium was still packed with terrible towels. So having to see all of that on top of it, just brutal for a young fan sitting in that stadium. I remember that Roethlisberger did not play that game. I remember at the end when it was obvious the Steelers were going to win, there was a shot of Roethlisberger. He was either in street clothes or maybe he had his pads on, but he obviously wasn't going to play. Staying there talking to Cower, and they were both laughing. And, you know, as a fan that just had his heart broken, because I was like you, I woke up that day thinking the only thing I had to worry about was the out-of-town scoreboard. And there were both of those games were games that I felt like could go in our favor especially the Rams and the Jets. The Rams needed to win to get into the playoffs. And the Rams ended up beating the Jets. And I felt like the that Cower and Roethlisberger were having a conversation about, can you believe we won a game that we did not give 
a rat's bleep about. I'll bleep it for Mrs. Luca just because I know Luca's probably going to cuss later in the episode. And that who knows? They could have just been talking about whatever. That game meant so little to them. They probably didn't even realize what was on the line for the Bills. Um, but that that moment there was a low moment. But like you mentioned, you didn't know that you were in a playoff draw at that point in time. I, I think about the 2007 Monday night game against Dallas where we finally get a primetime game. And it looks like despite the fact that we're clearly not the better team on the field, it looks like everything's falling right. And the Bills on this one night are going to show the NFL like, hey, our fans are awesome. Look how loud our stadium is for this very mediocre team. And we're going to beat the evil Dallas Cowboys only to have that ripped away. Um, then you had, you know, the, the whole Duran era that just felt like it was never going to end four years of Dick Duran. And then the Terrell Owens thing, which gave us life for like two games. And then it was like, oh man, we're going to lose six to three to Cleveland, even though we have Terrell Owens on our team. Like, and then, you know, you sat through JP Lossman and Trent Edwards and Drew Bledsoe. And it was like, none of these quarterbacks that we're believing in and I believed in are working out. But I will tell you my low moment, and it may not be one that sticks out to you guys as an actual moment because it's not a game. The offseason after Dick Duran got fired, and it was like, okay, we, we've we been through all this. The Bledsoe thing didn't work out. Tom Donahoe didn't work out. We tried to bring Marv Levy back as a GM, and pretty much the rest of the league thought that was a joke, and it turned out to be we haven't solved quarterback. Lossman was a failure. We thought Edwards was going to be our answer. He was a failure. But one thing we can do now is we can rid ourselves of Dick Duran. And there were rumors out there that the Bills were going to get Mike Shanahan. And I remember specifically that offseason, the story, and I'm a big WGR guy. The story on Chopin the Bulldog was, would a coach even want the Bills job? And I remember Chris Mortensen came on for an interview and he's like, guys, you have to understand even the worst teams in this league, these jobs are precious. Any coach would want one of these jobs. But as the weeks went on and coaches were taking themselves out of the running for the job, um, was it Marty Schottenheimer's kid? It's Brian Schottenheimer, right? Stokes or Luca, that's that's his name, yeah. right? Yeah, I remember he took himself out of the running for the job. And this is a guy that never became a head coach. And it became apparent that Mike Shanahan was just using the bills for leverage to become ultimately the coach of Washington. And I was listening to Chopin Bulldog one afternoon when we still didn't know who the coach was going to be. And they said, oh, the, the Buffalo News is reporting that all signs are pointing to Chan Gailey becoming the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. And I'll never forget Bulldog said, well, if that's the case that pretty much confirms to me that they still have no idea what the hell they're doing over there. And I hate to say that because when you line up Bill's coaches on the drought, Chan Gailey was probably the most likable. And quite honestly, his teams were maybe the most fun. They, they never really had a chance to do anything, but those Fitz Gailey teams were at least fun. But the fact that after surviving all the chaos of the quarterbacks that didn't work out after surviving four years of Dick Duran, which is just like pulling your teeth out, trying to find anything to believe in. You come back with Chan Gailey, who wasn't on anybody's radar. It was at that moment, Luca, that I just felt like this team is just continuing to spin their wheels. And I think the ultimate anchor on our backs was there's a team in our division that no matter what happens, they can't seem to make a misstep. They're always competing every year, including a year 
where their quarterback misses and we still can't get over the hump and make the playoffs, even when we start off four and oh, um, it just felt like to me, like, I feel like I'm just destined to never see my team do well. I don't know where you were at on the day Gailey was hired. I don't know if that moment sticks out to you, Luca, but to me, that was just like, man, this, this thing may never end. I was pretty much at the point with those bills when Gailey was hired in that era came about where I don't even want to say that hope never even thought to present itself to me, but I was already at that point in that brink where it was just, I wasn't going into a season with any sort of expectation. You know, it's the, uh, what is it? Vince Vaughn and dodgeball. If you have a very low or no expectation, you can't disappoint yourself. That was kind of my mindset with Bill's seasons at that point in time. So not that Chan Gailey inspired anything to change that. And that would be why I sat where I was and with the mindset of what I had. But yeah, every year and when that hire happened and every year that followed and whatnot, I just did not find myself in a position where even disappointment couldn't come because I just didn't put myself in a vulnerable position that would make me have any sort of hope anyways. And then I think in turn that made those rare blips and those rare occurrences like the upset over, you know, uh, New England or anything like that in that era in general, it made it enjoyable just because you just couldn't believe that something like that could even happen with that regime and that team in place and everything like all of that era is just one of those ones where you grab on those little moments of joy just because there wasn't much else to even hope about. And I, I'm kind of proud of myself because I feel like if I would have even tried to talk myself into hoping anything would come of those seasons, you would really have to talk yourself off of a ledge. Like that would be tough, tough, dark times to be a fan of any sort of hope for that team because there was just nothing there from top to bottom to even provide a lick of it for you. So yeah, no, I've, I was kind of the low expectations, no expectations, and I can't disappoint myself. That's kind of where I was already. So he, Chan Gailey hiring didn't disappoint me because I just didn't have a standard at that point. I was, it was pretty much bottom of the barrel already. So it is what it is. You know, you bring up a good point about just grasping onto moments, beating new England in, in week three in 2011, uh, signing Terrell Owens, signing Mario Williams. Maybe those are moments where in the grand scheme of things, if you're honest with yourself, you probably didn't think that those were really going to amount to any kind of championship level move. But Stokes, I was at a point where I was just excited that ESPN was talking about the bills. Like I remember when they signed Terrell Owens for two days straight, there was actually an ESPN reporter in Buffalo covering a press conference, and you just never saw that. ESPN would never air a Bills press conference. And then when they signed Mario Williams, it was like, whoa, the biggest free agent fish goes to Buffalo. We had been used to living in the world of if you want to sign a free agent, you have to greatly overpay for Derek Dockery and give him the same amount of money that Steve Hutchinson's getting from Minnesota just to get him to come to you, even though he's clearly the inferior player, or you have to clearly overpay for Langston Walker or Kavika Mitchell. And we got Mario Williams and it was like, wow, they're talking about us. And that's the next topic I want to get into is those moments kind of like that. Also like the few and far between primetime games we had, we talked about Dallas, we talked about the McKelvin game against new England, but it just felt like, the Bills were such a forgettable team in the league. Very few marketable players. The team was, like Luca mentioned, it felt like they were just destined to go seven and nine every year and no real threat to New England in the division and just nothing for somebody that's not a Bills fan to grasp onto. 
And so for me, when they had those primetime games, it was like a moment to tell your friends who weren't Bills fans, like, see, my team has some cool players like CJ Spiller and Stevie Johnson are pretty good at football. And I remember Kiko Alonso doing really well on a Thursday night game against Cleveland. Like, look, we got a cool linebacker. And I don't know, Stokes, is there a moment to you where primetime games felt like a bigger deal just because it was like, wow, the you're forced to watch the bills. And that's a good thing because normally people wouldn't choose to do so. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. Um, it, it, in 2012, when we signed, signed Mario, I, I thought that, you know, Hey, they're pushing their chips into the middle. They're going to try and go for something here. And that's, and that, that was all great. And um, uh, the, I, th- that Monday night game with the, with the Cowboys was definitely one of those where it was really exciting and it was an unfortunate way for it to end, but it was definitely it was like, see, the bills are, bills are pretty good. They're, they're not, uh, they're just not, you know, guys, you're gonna just just walk over, and um, we didn't uh, when we got when the Patriots were going undefeated, and we got flexed in the Sunday night and got railroaded. That wasn't great for us, <laughs> but um, like th- there were times where we had been served up on you know, on on primetime games, but now but with the with the Cowboys game, it was like um, hey, hey, we're here, and now now we're getting closer and closer to to that, and now we're like the headliners as far as um, prime time goes. And it's, um, I, I think that, you know, 2012 was probably the, the season that I can think of that I felt like, okay, the bills are you know, trying to do something that's going to uh, put a dent into the, the dynasty of the Patriots. Uh, we had a decent team. I, I'll say, I mean, adding Mario to a defense is already okay. Um, then the offense had CJ and Freddie and um, Fitzmagic and um, and Brad Smith, I, I love Brad Smith as as a player just because of his gadget abilities. Um, but like it, it was it was a team that you thought, like, okay, well if, if they go out and you know, win eight games, that's that'll be pretty cool. Um, and that's when I thought that we were moving towards something that we were, we were going to build upon. And um, like a, a, among the drought, that was probably the team I I felt the most. Um, excitement about it. And I think it's probably because of the investment into Mario and the fact that he was, he was the get of that season. He was still, he was like 26, 27 years old. So he was still um, supposed to be that dominant force. And I just thought that it meant that the Bills were going to try and continue to build and build. And, um, you know, it, it happened how it happened. And you, we didn't have the kind of success then or shortly after that, that, that we had wanted. You know, Luca, he brings up a good point just about you you get Mario Williams, your your team's doing something you like. It feels like they're making some smart moves, and you're sitting there as a fan hoping that they go eight and eight. And that just reminds me of so many moments looking at a Bill's schedule. Like you just you felt like you were donating two games to New England right off the bat. And you just thought, okay, can I win three games against Miami? and the Jets, like steal one on the road because the Bills for the longest time just didn't beat good teams on the road. It just didn't happen. And then from there, you probably need to win five other home games and, you know, just get a couple and maybe you can sneak in at nine and seven. And I just remember being a fan, you know, like you you just felt like every season New England's going to win the division. So you're left with, at this point in time, six playoff teams in the conference two playoff spots for the 12 teams that didn't win their division. 
And how many of those 12 teams started off the season 0-2 because their division rival had maybe the best quarterback of all time and the best coach of all time and just beating us over the head constantly? And you just felt like every season you started off in a hole. And I wonder, Lucas, spinning it forward now, have we gotten to the point, do you think, where Jets fans, Miami fans, I don't think New England fans are there. I think there's some delusion still there. But have we gotten to the point where they're the teams that feel like okay, we, we have to be aiming for one of these wild card spots because we know the Bills are going to win this division. We have 100% hit there. I will actually uh, go against what you said. I think Miami fans are more delusional at this point than New England fans. I know there's the extremists out there, and I'm just taking out those individuals, the ones you see on Twitter, basically, and all of those guys that just you got guys claiming that, you know, Mac Jones is what Josh Allen hopes to be or whatever ridiculous statement. We're, we're not talking about those guys. But I think you see other things where people want Bill Belichick fired in New England and stuff like that because they have hit that point now where they know the Bills are the wall. They're the standard of the division. And now Jets fans in New England and, I mean, reasonable Miami fans, I think, also are still there where it's like, how do we get the five seed? to then potentially avoid the bills, even in that first round of the playoffs, because the worst thing, and I think this is just a, you know, league wide thought. You don't want to play a divisional opponent in the first round of the playoffs, because the last thing you want is an opponent that you're very familiar with on their turf, because yes, you're familiar with them, but they're also very familiar with you. And there's a reason they're in the position they are instead of you. So in case in point, for instance, Bills with New England last year. You got Rams with the Cardinals last year. Those were both just absolute ass whoopings. Just you don't want to be in that predicament. But yes, the fans of other divisional foes just understand the Bills are the standard. And unless the Bills do something to themselves, I think at this point, you know, and I don't even want to say it like the Bills would do this, but like if Josh Allen were to have a season ending injury or something happens to the Bills that really moves the ticker in a negative way that opens up an opportunity, you know, like uh, what was it? Brady in 09, I believe. And mm-hmm. that's the only time they did not win the division that year. Oh, wait. Oh, nine was. Yeah. Oh, nine was the TOC. Oh, nine was. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So, um, that's the only situation that I think any fan is even eyeing the division, any reasonable fan. You have the outliers once again, but yes, the bills have gotten to that point. We are the standard. We are the AFC East. That is how it goes. And it's probably how it's going to be for a long, long time. Barring anything crazy. It's, it's a beautiful standard that we now sit in ourselves because as you pointed out, yes, for all those years, you just basically chalked it up when you looked at the schedule release There's two losses on the schedule when you're at New England and when you're hosting New England. That was just the reality of it. And you just accepted that. And now that you're starting every year 0-2, how can we maybe scrape together nine wins? Eight wins in like a lot of scenarios happen for us. Maybe push that double-digit mark at 10 wins, but let's not get too crazy here and make a wild card seed. That's kind of where our reality was all those times, and it never really worked out as we know. And now I think the divisional foes find themselves in a predicament such as that as well. Yes, 100%. Other than the extremists, I just want to point that out one more time because, yes, every fan base has those crazy nut jobs that just believe their team is so much better and so much more complete than everyone else and think somehow Mac Jones or Tua Tungavailoa are just worlds above everyone else and they just don't know it yet. It's like, okay, let's pump the brakes here. So other than those guys, yes, the world we live in is 
the Bills are the standard, and those teams are just praying and hoping to get into one of those three now wildcard spots. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned how it used to feel with New England. I remember when the schedule came out, and it wasn't always that you would play your division rivals in the last week of the season. That's a relatively new thing. I remember when the schedule came out, I would always hope that the Bills played the Patriots week 17, hoping that we would get the Patriots. And this is how my defeatist attitude, hoping that New England would already have everything locked up, nothing to play for, and we'd catch them with Jimmy Garoppolo or Jacoby Brissett instead of a situation where Tom Brady's out there. And we did have that happen in Marone's last year with Kyle Orton. Um, so Stokes and Luca, we want to talk about like how we're handling the pressure of the situation and what what's riding on the bills and how big the window is. But one last thing I want to ask you, looking back, we know they're good now. We know that in a lot of ways, maybe they're like the standard in the NFL. But in your heart of hearts, and that's a hard heart to dig into because it's been broken so many times that maybe the Bills had to do more to make us believers than most fan bases would have had to go through. I'll start with you, Stokes. When did you know that this current generation of the Bills was a good team? Um, Honestly, I, I didn't really know it until... Um, the coming out season of Josh, because I mean, when you, when you saw after the Texans playoff game, you're like, okay, well, <laughs> we know that Josh Allen, one thing he's going to do, he's, there's going to be those times where he's just going to YOLO it. And um, I don't know if that's something that you can win with because th- this version of the NFL is so um, built upon not making the mistakes. And if you have a guy that's willing to do it and or, or more so is turnover prone, that's not indicative for you know, sustained sustained success. And um, the, the next season, he just completely turned that around, even though we had those those few moments where he was like, "Whoa, what are you doing there? Um, even even with that, he, he was just fantastic the entire season. And that's what I thought. Okay, well, this is we we've got a team here, and maybe maybe that's mostly because of um, Stefan Diggs and Dave Bowl and how they adjusted the way the offense was running. But um, that's that's when you know I I felt pretty confident, and it wasn't um, I, as a fan I thought that okay, well, this is the type of team that I can see winning and winning big. How about you, Luca? Did you need to see Josh Allen be great before you believed this team was good? I'll put it in two steps here. The moment I realized that we had a guy who could actually be a guy to put this team somewhere of relevance was definitely more that second year. That first year, you really didn't know what you had. The weapons stunk around him, all of that fun jazz. But when they even brought in a guy, and we've talked about my Arizona uh, liking before, bringing John Brown, and I was excited. I'm like, at least John Brown can do something. I'm curious to see what a Josh Allen can do with a guy like John Brown, who's kind of a poor man's T.Y. when healthy. That's kind of how I look at him. And I was like, he's making plays sometimes, but as even Stokes just referenced there, then you had just Josh Allen doing Josh Allen things, YOLOing it. But when you kind of step back and looked at the whole picture, you're like, okay, this guy has the attributes. He's not a Christian Hackenberg where it's the classic. He has all the tools. Can he put it together? It's like you hope he can put it together, but his tools are so damn good that I really hope they can put a better support system around him, bet, you know, coach it up, figure it out between the ears kind of situation and see if they can really boost it to the next level. 
And then I think I'm going to steal this a little bit from you, but you like to steal a lot of points from me. So it, but it's it's to the same. Like this is the moment where I was like, this is the real deal. It's of course that Thanksgiving Dallas game. That was the game where I was like, okay, this team isn't just good. They will be good for a long time. And Josh Allen is that guy. Like that was the undisputed moment. And I'm pretty sure majority of Bills fans also feel that way. When you were like, holy shit, this guy's a dog. He's a beast. And he really knows what he's doing. And he's damn good at ball. And that was kind of the coming out party of Josh Allen. And at least showing the national attention and the, the world or the nation that Josh Allen is going to be a force in this league for a long, long time. And then he's going to elevate everyone around him and be able to do a lot with this team and bring this team places that, you know, hopefully ultimately to the pinnacle is what we hope. But that was the moment. That was the game. That was the time when I was like, yeah, Josh Allen's that guy. This team is going to be very good, not just hopeful for wild cards and things of that. Like, the natural progression was what it was, but I knew there was even better things coming forward. And it was because of that game where I was like, yeah, we haven't even come close to hitting our ceiling yet. And that was a very exciting time. Very exciting. That was such a key game, a key moment in this whole transition. And I know you guys are both NFL historians and you appreciate the past. And there's a a scene from, when the San Francisco 49ers of 95 beat the Chargers in the Super Bowl and there was the whole like, can Steve Young ever get over the hump and be the quarterback that Joe Montana was? And there's a scene when, you know, they know they're going to win in Montana and Steve Young is on the sideline and he's like, take the monkey off my back. I felt like that Cowboy game was, you know, for lack of a better phrasing, like the Bills fans taking the monkey off their back. So many boxes got checked that day. It was our team can beat a good team with high stakes because there was high stakes in that game. The bills went into that game. I think they were seven and three and they improved to eight and three and you know, eight and three is it's really hard to miss the playoffs at that point in time. Um, they won a road primetime game and you go back through the drought. You cannot find a road primetime game. The bills won outside of the one that Luca attended when the bills in 2001 randomly go down to Jacksonville, a three and 13 bills team and beat the Jaguars. There's just no road primetime game wins. And that wasn't just a primetime game. That was the primetime game. That is all eyes on the field because it's Thanksgiving and it's the Dallas slot. And Dallas was a respectable team that year. And to me, that was also another box checked of, okay, we've seen Josh Allen do fairly well. We've seen him dominate Miami a couple of times. We've seen him come back against the Jets, but he hasn't had this like stamp of a moment of like, he's going to be the dude and he took over that game. But I will tell you, like, that's when I graduated as a fan from like, okay, this team's kind of fun to like, okay, I'm, I'm believing like, I'm no longer going to be surprised if they, they win in the prime time. And they actually went on to clinch the playoff spot in a road prime primetime game later that year against duck Hodges and the Steelers, which was a cool game in itself. But I still didn't necessarily believe they were great. I remember going into those playoffs thinking, how can we avoid playing the good teams? You know, like I, 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 I was cool with playing the Texans. I didn't want to have to go to Foxborough. The, the Patriots team was nothing special, but you know, they ended up losing to Tennessee. To me, it was that next year, the COVID year where you saw the bills just come out and they had digs and they won I, their first four games in a row before losing to Tennessee and Kansas City. And I was like, okay, this team's really good. But there was always something in the back of my mind like, 
is this year going to be one of those years that we look back on and just a lot of weird stuff happened? You know, Stokes referenced YOLO Josh, and maybe there's something about an empty stadium. He doesn't get as high, high strung and maybe he's more comfortable in non-empty stadiums. And then he didn't play his best in the playoffs when fans were allowed to be back. Even in the wins, he wasn't great. He was really good against Indy. And then against Baltimore, he was kind of eh. And then he really wasn't that good at all in Arrowhead against Kansas City. To me, and this is going to sound like, wow, I was really picky. It wasn't until the next year, last year, where they really started stacking wins late in the year. And I think it was the game, another game that Luca was at, a loss against Tampa Bay. When it looked like their season was falling apart. They had just come off of that devastating loss on Monday Night Football against New England, and then they come out and get railroaded the first two quarters of that game against Tampa Bay. Tom Brady, the Super Bowl champions, how many Bills teams, how many teams in general would just roll over and die at that point? From that halftime until 13 seconds to go in their season, the Bills were the best team in football, and I don't even know how close it was. And that's what gives me confidence because they went and they railroaded New England in New England and they did it again in the playoffs. And to me, that's what gives me confidence that this is a team that can get it done at the highest level because I've seen their quarterback. It's all about the quarterback, like Stokes mentioned, go toe to toe with the best. And Patrick Mahomes should have beaten him. Tom Brady should have beaten him for a Stefan Diggs pass interference in the end zone. But guys, what happens if they don't get it done? It's great to be the Super Bowl favorites. It's great to be the team that everybody's talking about, but football is a one and done situation. I guess, Luca, we know you're confident. You've bet money on it. We talked about it last week. I'll start with, I'll go to you, Stokes, before we just dive into what happens if it doesn't work. How confident are you that this is the season that's going to end with the Bills hoisting the Lombardi, Stokes? I don't know if it's, um, I would, I would (laughs) say more so, I think this is the team. I don't I don't know whether I feel like this is the season, but I feel like this this core group of guys, um, I feel like it's not if it's when. Um, and I and I feel very confident in that. So with that in mind, I, I just feel um like with it with Josh Allen and Diggs and and you know uh, McDermott and everybody else, this three or four year window that we've got right here, they're going to win a bowl in that time. And I don't know whether that's this year. I don't know if that's next year or the year after that. But I, I, I would stake anything I've got that they they're going to win a bowl with this core group of guys. Um, I feel really confident about this year though. Like, I, but I just don't want to. I, I want to hedge myself and not be stuck in that. Hey, it's only this year or bust type of deal. But I feel extremely confident because from a roster standpoint, they're they're really um they're really stacked pretty much everywhere. And when you when you look at um how they seem to be as far as they're they still seem to be looking at the same goal and not trying to get too far ahead of themselves. And that's, that's what you want out of, out of the type of team that's going to win a Super Bowl is you don't want them to be feeling themselves too much. And, and, and with this squad, you also have the um, built in. Yeah. You, you guys were really good last year. And then look what happened. And then that type of thing is what, what can get, get stuck in your head and keep driving you to be um, as successful as you can be. That Chiefs game last year is going to be a fascinating moment in time. If the Bills do win the Super Bowl this year, it is going to be the first five minutes of their Super Bowl 
documentary America's game. And it's going to be, this is where we started. This is how we finished. And it's going to be a beautiful story and we'll all have a, an easier time getting over it. If this season doesn't end in the Super Bowl, that game against Kansas City is going to feel like one that really slipped away and one that the Bills with Josh Allen and Sean McDermott in this window had an opportunity to get it done. And then if 2022 goes by and the Bills don't cross the finish line, I think doubt within the fan base is going to start to creep in of, if not now, when? How how big is the window? And that's where I want to steer the conversation to next, Luca. And then Stokes, you can piggyback off of what Luca says. How big is the window here with this team? Like we know the quarterback is in his prime. We know the quarterback has some mileage left, but we've seen teams with good quarterbacks not necessarily stay in that championship window. Think about Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. Think about Andrew Luck with the Colts. Think about Cam Newton with the Panthers, where it was like he was in the Super Bowl and then all of a sudden the team was pretty irrelevant till the end of his career. And when you look at some of the pieces on this team, the Hides, the Poyers, the the Diggs, even the Tredavious White. Now, Diggs and White are a little different. They're still, you know, in their 20s. They still have some mileage ahead. But Luca, how confident are you that this is a window that if it's not done this year is going to be open for a while? Um, I'm very confident that our Super Bowl window is going to be for. I mean, as I think Stokes said it well, there's definitely a Super Bowl window for, you know, let's say the next four years with this core group of guys there, there is definitely absolutely a window here where Josh Allen digs. I mean, even we can talk this safety duo, depending on what goes on with Poyer situation, all these key members of this team on both sides of the ball, I feel like have the potential to make that run and lift in Lombardi. When you, when you want to, if you even want an answer beyond that, I mean, realistically, the bill should be in the conversation of being a Super Bowl contender or being a team to watch for the Super Bowl, I would even think you could go as far as saying, think about how much Josh Allen is going to be able to do when it comes to lifting that extra load to bring them over the top. I think Josh Allen could realistically do this for the next five, six, seven years of his career, depending on how things go, depending on what his injury situation or history will become. I mean, hopefully there is zero history or injury concerns that come with Josh Allen in the next five years that could stretch that to seven years of him being absolutely dominant and elite at everything that he does. That's not realistic to think. Eventually a body should deteriorate that we are human. Everyone is human. I'd hate to say it. Unfortunately, Josh Allen is a human being. He will eventually. <laughs> he will eventually you watch come your mouth just a little bit. I'm not trying to say it's coming anytime soon. I'm just saying eventually it'll come. But I think we could get another five to seven years of this Josh Allen. And then you have another four or five years after that where the arm talent could still be there. So the window is kind of that. The window is essentially one. When does Josh Allen feel like he's eventually going to fall off that top five, six quarterback tier? It could be a very long time. We could be pushing close to a decade. I mean, you look at Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, individuals like that of recent that have been able to stretch their careers to such great lengths at an elite level and provide a team that can win and get them in a position to then get over the finish line. Unfortunately for Rodgers' sake, at least, it hasn't really come as much as you'd hope especially for how good he has been for that team. But um, 
they're always there. They're always in the mix. They're one seeds time and time again. They are a dominant team every season, it seems like, or they're at least a contending team. And you would hope that Josh Allen should be able to do that for us at whatever capacity that he can for probably close to a decade, I would hope. And um, I am extremely confident in that. Again, this is barring anything cataclysmic happening that you cannot forecast. And I just want to preface that because I feel like people like to jump on that. It's like, well, what if you didn't have Josh Allen? Again, if we don't have Josh Allen, this whole conversation doesn't matter. So Josh Allen's the key. As long as Josh Allen doesn't have anything horrible happen to him. Yeah, we're talking probably a decade. That's our Super Bowl window. Realistically, though, I'm with Stokes a bit on his previous point. I really, really am confident that it's coming with this core group of guys beyond Josh Allen, and we should be lifting a Lombardi very soon. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how Stokes is feeling when it comes to the overall Super Window, Super Bowl window, but I would, I would imagine he probably shares a similar view. But I'd be very curious to hear what he's got to say. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I echo a lot, of, a lot of what you said there. I mean, it, obviously, it, it's all going to go with Josh Allen. Um, and as long as he continues to be the guy he has been, um, there's, there's not really a sign for just a complete drop off of, of his um, talent level. Like the only thing that we're going to have to figure out is how things look when he is um, not running the ball 137 times a year. You know, when when he's now having to throw the ball 500, 600 times um, every year and how that changes both the offense and the way he plays. Um, because if he doesn't if he doesn't have that half step he can get on a linebacker, if he doesn't have that same um, oomph when he's trying to run over a DB, uh, he's not going to be able to hurdle everybody forever. We, we know that, and he shouldn't continue to try to hurdle people when he's 32 years old. That's, that's, that's not what we want. Um, but in, is that coached out of him? Does he realize that he shouldn't do it anymore? Or is it just him? Is that just what he's, he's always going to be this 25 year old? I'm going to run over you. I'm going to jump over you, whatever it takes, because whenever he talks, he's like, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to help my team win. That is what he says every time he's talking. And is there a point where he stops thinking that? Is there a point where he's like, okay, I'm going to slide. I'm going to get out of bounds. I'm going to do this and that to, um, try and help my team three, four years down the road, but um, put them in harm's way. So, I mean, we're all, we're all going to go as far as Josh Allen takes the bills. And I think as long as he continues to be that guy, um, McDermott and Bean, they're going to continue to put pieces around him and they're drafting well, they're building everything around him. They're building the foundation very, very well for um, this team to succeed for as, as long as Josh is going to continue to play. And I think that that is, the thing you want to see most, and that's what probably gives us the most confidence, is that we we've got the quarterback. That's great. Now it's what what, what derails teams sometimes is the management um, derailing everything else. And we it seems like we have the coach and GM in lockstep, and they they know exactly what they want. They know the players they want. They know the type of guys they need, and they they get them. They bring them here. They get them coached up, and then they just look great. And that's it's kind of the system that New England had right they they brought in their guys they bought into the system and everything just like they go to new england and now they're working perfectly it's like oh well what's Welker? he caught one pass with the dolphins and now all of a sudden he's got 700 catches in five years and so that's it's just perfect how the things work and that's what i think it seems like we're building here uh for the bills 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure on Bean um, because there's going to be some tough decisions that come up. We mentioned some of the aging guys on defense. He did invest heavily on Von Miller, which I fully support. He he pushed the chips in, so to speak. But what you don't want to do is push the chips in so far that you take away from your future window. We saw the Patriots push the chips in a couple times with Brady Belichick. The year that they got Randy Moss, Wes Welker, Junior Seau. I think they got Adelius Thomas that offseason as well. And it didn't ultimately work out despite going undefeated in the regular season and just smashing teams along the way. So I think some of these conversations like the Jordan Poyer situation are going to be interesting to see how Bean handles it. You know, there's an argument to be made, keep guys happy, especially someone like Poyer. But at some point, you got to say no um, to keep this thing rolling. uh, And that'll be interesting to see. I do want to run this past you guys. There's a team from NFL history that I compare the Bills to. and I want to see how you guys like this comparison. So I've been, I've been kind of into watching old NFL games here recently. Just it's something I do in the off season. I I get kind of lost in it. And the, the Colts, the Peyton Manning Colts. And I need you to fast forward a little bit because when Manning got drafted by the Colts, they had some early success, but it really didn't amount to a whole lot. Like they, they actually won the AFC East in, in 1999 and then they got bounced by the Titans and then they went back to the playoffs in 2000 and then Jim Mora was fired after 2001 when he did the whole playoffs playoffs rant. So if you just kind of erase that portion of it from your memory and you start off in 2002 and the Colts had a good offense, they had uh, Marvin Harrison, they had Reggie Wayne, they had Edgerin James, they had a really good offensive line, they had Peyton Manning, they had some okay pieces on defense, then they just hired Tony Dungy to kind of get them over the hump as a soft-spoken, defensive-minded uh, head coach for an offensive team. They go to the playoffs, they get they get railroaded by the Jets, there's no other way to say it, I think it was 40 to nothing, and then they come back the next year, they draft Dallas Clark, and then they go to the playoffs and they they finally get a playoff win for Peyton Manning, which was his big thing. They beat the Broncos, and they go to Kansas City and beat the Chiefs before ultimately falling to New England in New England. But by that point in time, Peyton Manning was widely considered one of, if not the best quarterbacks in football. Ironically, at that time, it wasn't against Tom Brady. It was actually Peyton Manning and Steve McNair who were considered the two best quarterbacks in football. Um, it would eventually be Brady as time went on. The next year, the, the Colts have another fantastic season. Their offense is just on fire with, again, Edron James. These are guys that are going to either be in the Hall of Fame or have a conversation for the Hall of Fame. Edron James, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Peyton Manning, uh, Tariq Glenn on the offensive line. And they kept hitting that New England wall. And they lost again to New England in the playoffs when New England was so short on cornerbacks that they played Troy Brown, their wide receiver, at cornerback that game. And it was just, you started to wonder, the Colts have this all-time great quarterback. Are they ever going to get over the hump? And so if you think about it from the Bills standpoint of the Bills have this quarterback who could potentially become an all-time great quarterback, but now he's run into Mahomes two years in a row. And that's kind of where the Colts were, where they they had this really good team, maybe the second best team in all of football, but they just kept running into the Patriots in the playoffs. And we don't want to talk about what happened in 2005 to the Colts because that's where the Bills would be on this timeline. They ended up having a great season where the number one overall seed in the playoffs and they lost a home game to the Pittsburgh Steelers where Vanderjet missed a field goal that looked like he was kicking it toward the tunnel and not the uprights. And the Colts finally got over the hump in 2006 and that 
that happened because they beat the Patriots. They got the Patriots in their building and Manning finally got that, that Brady monkey off of his back saying, again, I brought that up now three times on the podcast. Um, and the Colts got over the hump and it was almost like a foregone conclusion when that Super Bowl happened. Like you knew that once the Colts got past the Patriots, there was just no way they were going to lose to Rex Grossman, really Devin Hester and the Chicago bears that year. And I wonder Stokes and Luca, this is kind of a two part question. When you look at the way this Bills team is built, like they have their established great receiver digs, who maybe in this comparison is kind of like the Marvin Harrison. They have their defensive minded head coach and Sean McDermott. They have their complimentary receiver, which at this point in time, Reggie Wayne was not great. He was good. He became really great once Harrison started to decline. Maybe that's Gabe Davis. They had their playmaking tight end Dallas Clark, which is kind of like our Knox. They had their quarterback who was considered one of the best in the sport, but just couldn't get past the other quarterback who was considered one of the best in the sport. Mahomes to Allen, AKA Brady to Manning. And then they had a defense that was built on the pass rush with guys like Franey and Mathis. And the bills obviously went out and drafted Groot last year and then signed Von Miller, which we know about that. So when you look at all of it, I know the comparison's not perfect, but I just wonder, this is kind of a two-part question. I'll start with you Stokes. Cause I've, I've thrown this to Luca a couple times off the air. One, do you almost believe that this bills team has to go through the chiefs at some point in time? Like whether it's a storybook ending or whether it's just something that they almost need to go through in a playoff setting. And if that happens, they're almost going to be unstoppable. And then B in general, do you like this comparison as maybe the last couple of years, the bills have been the second best team in football, but they just keep running into their arch nemesis. I understand that the comparison gets hurt by the fact that the last two times they lost to the chiefs, the chiefs did not go on to win the super bowl. Like the Patriots did two years in a row when they beat the Colts. That does hurt the comparison a little bit. One, do you like the comparison to the Dungy Manning Colts? And two, is it is it almost like poetic that they have to go through the Chiefs Stokes? I think that um, from I think if you asked the the players, they would say they don't care who they play, but I think that deep down they do want to play and beat the Chiefs and get through them um, in order to get the get to the Super Bowl because of the way um, the last two seasons have ended when when playing against them. So I for for my for my edification, I would prefer it as well. I would pref- I definitely prefer to go through the Chiefs. Um, and when we when we talked about it last year, I told you I, I would have preferred the Chiefs, the Titans, and then beating the Bucks in the Super Bowl. That was that's what I wanted personally. Um, so I, I I think that that would make um, make this as magical as it could be to go through the Chiefs, and I do think the comparison is I mean it's eerily similar. I mean the the teams are built up very similarly, and I think that um, the com- the comparison itself between having the great quarterbacks and and the and, and even the, the coaching comparison, I mean, I don't know, Dungy and Belcher didn't work together to my knowledge, but I mean, you got McDermott and Reed having a little bit of history. And I think that um, it, it's really like it, it's too easy, too common um, for it to uh, not not feel like it's it's a it's a similar road, a similar similar path. And um I think that once we do get over that hump, I, I think that 
it'll be one of those situations where they would win the game and then um, they finally let let it go that we've been we've been waiting for this for so long we want to get through these guys and then they'll say but we got one more to go and we're gonna keep going and keep going and uh, so on and so forth but I think it, it will mean um, a lot more to them to go through the Chiefs um, to get to where they need to get which is uh, the Super Bowl and there's something to be said for if it's going to be a rivalry, you have to win one in a big spot. And the Bills have not done that yet against the Chiefs. All right. Well, we know the Bills are good. We know they're the betting favorite. We know that we're all confident on this show that they could win the Super Bowl. And we all feel like they're going to win the Super Bowl. But there obviously is ways it could go wrong. And Luca mentioned one before. What if Josh Allen gets hurt? That's the obvious one. We all get it. Like if injuries happen. There's there's a 32 quarterbacks out there, and most of them, if they get hurt, their team has no chance of winning the Super Bowl. How else could it go wrong, guys? What else, what are we missing? Is there something on this roster? Is there something that we're not seeing? Luca, what else outside of a devastating injury could go wrong to keep this team? And I don't even want to say from winning the Super Bowl because it's a one-game playoff, but let's just talk about like what could te- keep this team from being great? What if we? What would make this team maybe just a good team that doesn't really ever really have a sniff at a Super Bowl? What could happen here to really derail it? There's not much. I mean, to be honest, you know, obviously taking away the understandable point that you and I have made and everyone makes, right? Taking that away or just I want to even take injury away in general because it's like, oh, well, if all of a sudden we get pretty thin at corner or receiver or whatever, it's like, yes, injuries can, of course, derail anyone's season. But if you take injury out of the equation here and you just really look at it, maybe there's a world where even the nice things that we've seen out of Christian Benford and Kyer Elam, all of a sudden we have to live with their growing pains of dealing with the top receiving options of every team, especially early on when we're really going to lean on them and Dane Jackson for that matter to pick up for where we don't have our all pro Trey white. And even when Trey white is back, what if his recovery didn't go as smoothly as we hoped, or maybe he's just held out until mid November instead of late October, early November. And so that slows his recovery process, things of that nature. I think those are things like that are the only things that would pull us away from being a legitimate one seed thought to we just need to get into the dance. But even from that point, that's kind of a worst case scenario. That's kind of a like this is kind of our floor of a ceiling uh, of season, because in all reality, this I, I it's going to be a terrible answer but it's the real it's just the honest one where can you look at this roster look at this team look at this organization and tell me that they can absolutely fall off a shelf and just just land straight on their face and just be missing the playoffs and just not have any say in this postseason even the concept of any given sunday they lost to the jags things like that they can have those kinds of hiccups and i still find them there's it's hard for me to even as deep as the AFC is the AFC conference is as well. This is still one of those teams. We are the giant. We are the team us, Kansas city. Um, I mean, I, I don't even, people are talking up the chargers. Let's say the chargers haven't shown us anything. The Raiders haven't shown us anything. The Bengals went to the super bowl. They're the same team, but I mean, 
I, I feel like the disrespect is a little bit much for them. But even then, like, I think it's pretty widely regarded that the Bengals still aren't quite as whole and as solid of a unit as the Bills or the Chiefs, for that matter. Like, even though they technically went through the Chiefs and were obviously representing the AFC over the Bills, I think the class of the AFC is still kind of where it is for a reason. So if we were to have a hiccup or two in our season, your floor is making the dance and you're going to have a say at what's going on in this playoffs. That's the floor. And that's honestly, there is a disappointment level to that too. If we were all of a sudden a six seed and we got to really take the long way all the way to the, the Super Bowl, but we're still in it. So in all reality, that's all you really want to get out of this season. You want to get to the playoffs and then anything can happen there. And even if we were a wildcard team and something happened during the season that kind of put us in that unfortunate position, you still like this team overall to have a say in any game against any opponent. It's just going to be more tough because you're not at home. You don't have control of certain situations. Instead, you're maybe going to Arrowhead or you've got to fly out to LA to play the Chargers or whatever the case may be, right? That's kind of the only thing that this can go wrong. That's the only situation, for instance, that we're not in the Super Bowl. Because in all reality, to wrap it all up in a nice little bow, if we're the one seed, I find it very, very hard to see anyone come into Buffalo with this team if they're at full health. Again, that's what we're discussing here, at full health and beating this team in our house. That's just, it's something I cannot see. I don't even see Mahomes pulling off such a feat it would just be an incredibly difficult task for any team. I mean, I'm talking Mahomes. I'm imagining like a Herbert and that team, that beautiful LA, not dome, quote unquote, team coming into Buffalo and having to beat us in an AFC championship or divisional round game. Sounds like a nightmare to them. And I, it's that is kind of where my head's at with this team and this season in general. It's the, the floor is still pretty dang high. And the ceiling is, of course, where it sits when it comes to, you know, winning it all. And the Bills have scar tissue from the playoffs. They have playoff experience, which is something the Chargers don't have, which you would think would benefit the Bills in that scenario. Stokes, is there anything you see where maybe we're missing it or any kind of path to the Bills just not being as good as we think they are? Um, I, I, I do think the floor is uh, the playoff just because, one, um, the division itself. So the, between the Jets and the Patriots, and the Dolphins will probably be good. But I, I don't think they're as good as the Bills. So the, the division itself is just going to keep us in the playoffs, one, one would think. I think that, that the only thing that can derail us is, is um, injury. But um, I, I think that when you have um, defensive players who are older, if let's say if Poyer isn't the guy he was or has been since he came to Buffalo, if Trey doesn't come back as well as he does or, or he could be um, – when there are bad holes in your defense, especially in the back four, that that can make for very difficult, um, you know, games itself. And I think that we still have yet to see this team um, really buck up when we when we face a team that knows how to run the ball and do it well. So when you talk about the Ravens, you talk about the Titans, you talk about those types of teams who really know what they're doing when they're running the ball. We haven't we we beat the Ravens in the playoffs. That's fantastic. Um, but but Lamar is still Lamar, and any game that Lamar is in, he is going to make you pay um, in many different ways. So I think that 
and even still, we're talking about the playoffs here. So I, I, I have no conf, I have no um, qualms about saying this team is going to be in the playoffs. They're gonna, they're going to win the division. Um, it's just a matter of what they're going to do once they get there. Now, I think that that's a matter of the matchups, and I think if we see the Colts uh, in the playoffs, that's going to be a difficult task because Jonathan Taylor is Jonathan Taylor, and if Matt Ryan um, has any anything left in his tank, they've got some good um, wide receivers, and if Jonathan Taylor is continuing to be good, it's going to really test um, our front. So. I, I I still think that the that the floor is definitely the playoffs, and it, I, I don't think anyone would combat the the Bills ceiling being uh, the Super Bowl. I think that the only um, real roadblocks can be if the back four isn't as dominant as the as they have been. Um, you know, having to replace uh, Levi with Kyrie Elam, he looks great, but if he is a rookie and if uh, Trey isn't the same all-pro corner he has been, that's going to be really bad, uh, potentially, for the team. Yeah, I have a hard time making the case that the Bills won't be in the playoffs or at least even win their division, like you guys said. I, things that stick out to me, you know, the age of the defense, maybe Poyer and Hyde both fall off, or maybe White comes back but just isn't the level of player that we expect one year off of a torn ACL. Maybe Von Miller falls off. You know, he is an older player. but. To me, if if I had my choice, I'd want those questions to be on the defensive side of the ball because I think Sean McDermott and Frazier have proven in the past that they can cover up for lack of talent on defense with scheme. They certainly don't look to have a lack of talent on defense. In fact, it's definitely the direct opposite of that. But if there is a tail off there, I think that they can at least overcome it. And if the defense is at least average with as good as I think the offense is going to be, the team should still be a championship level team. The one other thing on offense is there is the Ken Dorsey factor. We've never seen him call plays in the NFL. What if there is a regression there? There has been concern. I do not share this concern but a concern that maybe McDermott now that Dable is gone is going to try to rein in this offense and make it a little bit more run heavy. I don't understand that concern because McDermott was the head coach the last two years when this team was far and away, one of the most off or aggressive offenses in the entire league, pass happy offenses, aggressive on fourth down. And we know McDermott is a control freak. And I say that as a compliment, he wouldn't just let one of his assistants do whatever he wants on the offensive side of the ball. It's not like Dayball was calling plays without McDermott knowing those plays were being called. So there is the concern about Dorsey. Um, you know, the other thing I will say, which is outside of the Bills' control, I don't lose a, lose a lot of sleep over this scenario. But what if two is great? You know, like I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's within his range of outcomes. That's realistic. But what if two is great? You insert a great quarterback on the Dolphins. That team becomes very scary, and you know that could be something that gets in the Bills' way. But it's just hard for me, outside of injury, to really envision how this could go wrong. Those are just some things that I saw as things that could get in their way. Speaking of things that are standing in the Bills' way, the defending Super Bowl champions are standing in their way this coming Thursday. And guys, let's dig into it now because this game is going to have the eyes of the entire NFL on it. It's the only game. It's the first game of the entire season. And before we get into it, we're going to talk about some Bills news that's happened last since last time we recorded. Um, Trey White was moved to the reserve pup list. Well, that was kind of an expected move. 
What that means is he is going to miss the first four games of the season. The bigger thing there, I I don't think many of us were thinking he was going to be ready for the regular season opener or even the first few games. He can't practice during that time period either. So I would not look at this as Trey Wright's going to miss the first four games and be ready to go by game five. The Bills can't really ramp him up on the practice field until he comes off the pup list. So I would take those first four games and then in your mind think, okay, how many weeks of practice is he going to need before he's ready to go? I even think there's a scenario where maybe he plays a game in more of a rotational basis where he plays a drive and then he comes out for a drive just to kind of get himself back into that. But Trey White's not going to be there to start this season. Another guy who won't be there to start the season is OJ Howard. He is no longer a Buffalo Bill. The Bills released him with their 53-man roster cuts. Um, We talked about that he didn't seem to really have an edge over Sweeney and Morris. Uh, Both those guys didn't make the roster. Uh, A couple of uh, camp notes that we talked about. Uh, Jake Kumaro and Taiwan Jones did win their camp battles, respectively, with Isaiah Hodgins and Raheem Blackshear. But Hodgins and Blackshear both got signed back to the practice squad. The Bills did sign a punter, Sam Martin, from the Denver Broncos. And anytime you sign a kicker from Denver, you always wonder, like, did he get a boost from playing in the thin air? That is not the case with Sam Martin. His numbers were excellent on the road and at home. He should be a significant upgrade over what the Bills had last year with Matt Hawk. And let's talk specifically about some news that is pertinent to this Rams game as the Bills practiced on Sunday, which is kind of like their Wednesday practice in a normal football calendar. And Isaiah McKenzie and Tim Settle were both out there and McKenzie told reporters that he is on track to play. Before we hop in to this game, I just went over a lot of Bills news. Um, Stokes, I don't think it's any surprise that Trey White's not going to be out there for the opener. I I think maybe a lot of people were surprised to hear that he couldn't practice with the team. But with a team like this, with expectations like this, there's just no reason to rush a guy like Trey White out there in September when the goal is have him fully go by January. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I would think that he he might be ready week two or week three, but there's no reason to, um, to push him. Even if we were trying to rebuild, like with with the Lions, Jamison Williams is probably going to be ready to play before they put him on the field, but they don't want to put um, any sort of added pressure on him or the team as far as, you know, what what your larger goals are. And I think that because we uh, have this window where we're trying to win a Super Bowl and with the with the way Les and uh, McDermott coach up DBs I, I assume they're in their coaches and like you know what we'll we'll make it we'll make it work with the guys we've got because this is what we do like <laughs> I, I can see that that being exactly what they this is what we do we get DB we get DBs we coach them up we, we get them to do what they need to do just to be serviceable I mean you, when you look at Teron Johnson um, Levi you, you look at all the corners that have come through um being on this team and you know Trey was the mainstay but we can we get guys to just play well within the system and there's no reason to put Trey in a position to where he has to try and rush back um, just for a week four game against some team. And then Luca, we've been kind of all over this OJ Howard thing since really training camp started, even back to mini camp is the reports we've been reading is he was just not the athlete that he was billed as coming out of the, out of the draft when he was considered a very highly drafted prospect. And you hate to see that you hate to see somebody's career derailed by injuries, but that appears to be the case here with OJ Howard. 
Yeah. I mean, he did get picked up pretty quick after we released him. I believe he ended up in Houston. Um, but really that's kind of a, it's a sediment to where he is at his career, where a team like Houston, which is not a pretty roster still wants to bring him in. Cause at least he's a body that can maybe provide them something at all. Whereas on this team. Yeah. He just, it didn't seem like he could really stand out. He didn't really want to present himself in any way that gave us another option that we had hoped when we initially gave him that contract offer. And it, it became pretty dang apparent when we're watching uh, Morris out there actually look serviceable and be like that second option, we'll call it, behind a Dawson Knox and maybe can do more for this team right now even and even probably going forward than an O.J. Howard. So it, he became very expendable, unfortunately, and everything like that. And it just it is what it is. Wish him the best. It does stink when you see a player that comes out and looks he's first round grade talent and it just falls off a shelf for whatever reason it is. Um, wish him the best. But um, it's it's unfortunate that he couldn't make this team. But I'm glad that such a status of, hey, he's a former first round pick. He could maybe present a promise later in the season that we're not seeing now held him up on this roster. I'm glad they made the decision of we see what we saw and we're going to go with what we saw, not the promise of something based on their status. You know, you got to go with what feels right, right then and now. So I'm glad they made that decision. Overall, I think it was the right decision and that's good. That's what makes me happy about it. And the other factor is he was $3 million fully guaranteed. So they essentially decided we know Quentin Morris was really um, locked into that tight end too, but they essentially decided that they'd rather pay OJ Howard to go away to keep Tommy Sweeney. And that probably tells you all you need to know about OJ Howard is the bills are willing to pay him $3 million to go away so they can keep Tommy Sweeney. It is worth noting that if OJ Howard is active or not active, but if he's on the Texans roster for the whole season, the bills can get a cap credit of almost $2 million next year. So something to hope for, something to root for, and obviously a very exciting player from college. None of us on this show root against him. Hopefully he can turn his career around because he was at one point in time a very exciting prospect, but there is probably a reason why he was available so cheap to the Bills this offseason and why a team that was in the Super Bowl two years ago had given up on him so easily. All right, well, speaking of the Super Bowl, the team that most recently won the Super Bowl is going to be the opponent this week. And there had been some stories about their quarterback, Matt Stafford, dealing with an arm injury. But Sean McVay came out on Sunday and said that Stafford will be full go with no limitations, gave similar updates on both running backs, Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. I find the Akers thing interesting. We'll come back to that in a second. He said that Van Jefferson is day-to-day recently had surgery. I find it unlikely that Jefferson plays this game. Stokes, when you see a player like Cam Akers, who really looked like he was going to be a very special player in this league, suffer an Achilles injury, and that has just been something that has derailed almost every running back that's ever dealt with that injury. I find it hard to believe, and I hope I I would love nothing more than to be wrong about this because he was an exciting player and just the human element of a guy that has worked his entire life to get to the NFL looks like a star in the making and then has a devastating injury that could just derail his career. I still I just find it hard to believe that we're ever going to see that Cam Akers that we were once promised. And I know Stokes, you were at one point in your life a running back. What do you think about Cam Akers' chances of regaining what he once had a couple years ago? 
I think that it was it was a huge testament that he was able to come back at all last season, and he did he did look a, you know a step slower during the games that he was involved in. But they trusted him enough to put him out there, and they wanted to try and go for it um, with with him. And I mean, and they want not because of Cam Akers, but having him out there as as, as the possibility to play, um, I, I think is is a testament to him and his willpower. So I think that I, I I can't I can't root against him as far as that goes, as far as you know the expectation that he he can't get back to you know what whatever he was. Uh, obviously. The the toll that hits take on running backs is it's very well documented. Um, I I think that he will get back to that personally just because of um, the the fight that he had just just this last season getting back um, when he when he probably there were probably you know eighty percent of the people around him telling him no just go back and just think about you know next season getting back to full health and um, he he went out and he came back and played and helped them as much or as much as he didn't um, get to and win the Super Bowl so I think that uh, Cam Akers he, he's he's a good running back and I I would expect him to get back to the level that we saw him um, when we were thinking that he's going to make a difference in this offense. And the offense itself lends to pretty good running back play as well. Their offense is loaded. Now, Luca, we talked about the Rams when we did our Rivals Watch series earlier um, this summer that the Rams were a team that we know who the stars are. We know Cooper Cup. We know Aaron Donald. We know Jalen Ramsey. They just jump off the screen. Those are three guys that I believe were in the top 10 of the NFL 100 but the Rams were the team that I think may have been the first team we used the phrase look under the hood. When you look under the hood, I don't see what I would say is an overly scary team. They're good. They won the Super Bowl. There is no taking that away from them. But I don't look at this as any kind of a super team. And I think that the argument could be made that this Rams team that the Bills are going to see on Thursday is decidedly worse than the team that won the Super Bowl last year. When you look at it, Odell Beckham, who was maybe the best player on the field in that game until he got out with injury, is no longer on the team. They replaced him with Allen Robinson. Let's just say that's a wash just for the sake of this conversation. And their stalwart at left tackle, Andre Whitworth, who was Andrew Whitworth, excuse me, was their best pass blocking offensive lineman per PFF last year. He's replaced internally by Joseph Noteboom, who's a decent player, but has never had that full time starting role. They also lost their starting right guard, Austin Corbett, who was a two-year starter for them, started every game the last two years. He's being replaced internally by Coleman Shelton, a player that the NFL doesn't know much about because he hasn't even started more than a handful of games. They lost Von Miller to our Buffalo Bills, and there's really no replacement on that roster that was brought in. Again, replacing internally. You can talk. You can pound your chest over F them picks and how we're just going to go for it. We're going to go for it. But... The, the downstream effect of F them picks is when you suffer substantial losses like that, you do not have the resources to supplement your roster. And you're seeing this on the downstream. So, Luca, I know you've been all over the Rams of look under the hood. They're not as good as maybe people think. Where are you at with this Rams roster in 2022 compared to what we saw in 2021 when they held the trophy up? everything you said was pretty much spot on with this roster. This they're still a good team and they're still one of the best teams. The NFC has to offer. 
I don't know whether that means more that the NFC just stinks comparatively or what, but they are still a very good team. With all of that said, yeah, from the couple blue chips they have at the top, which they do have very good blue chips. Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald. Jalen Ramsey still regarded one as the best, one of the best on the perimeter defending any receiver you ask. Cooper Cup, clearly just a weapon that McVay loves to just spam the crap out of and do anything he can with. Those are very, very good players. As you love and as we love to say, under the hood, past that. This is a average team. This is they're an above average team. And things like Akers having that Achilles thing that, as you said, running backs don't and Stokes also talked about running backs don't generally come back from very well. That's that's concerning because the other options they have are also not exactly what we view as dynamic or next level and being able to do anything other than just kind of their role and kind of a a positional player just to fulfill that running back duty. We'll call it Allen Robinson is a, he'll probably be a very nice wide receiver too for them. I think he'll do a fantastic job. Um, I'm not the biggest Allen Robin person, but I'm also understanding that I'm in the minority on that. I kind of go into this logic and mindset with Allen Robinson of I get that his quarterbacks have not been good and he's been on bad teams for the most part in his career. But when you're an NFL professional and you've been in the league as long as he has, he has shown that he can catch a lot of balls thrown his way and make a decent amount out of it. But beyond that, nothing pops about Allen Robinson. He just... He can take opportunities and be a reliable set of hands out there. Yes, that's still something that a lot of teams want, especially out of a wide receiver too. But it's not like I'm going to you know, go crazy about it. And I know you said as a wash between Beckham and Allen Robinson, I don't believe it to be that. Odell actually gives you a second gear. He gives you a dynamic level of play at that position that Allen Robinson will never come close to give you. Like, it just will not happen. Again, I'm not hating on Allen Robinson. It's just Odell Beckham is a much higher graded talent than an Allen Robinson. That's just the fact of it. And then the biggest thing, too, is, and I I feel like this is something that's forgotten a lot because, yes, we talked about Von Miller's now on our bills. They haven't really replaced that kind of edge rush. But the offensive line thing is a big deal. Whitworth was clearly their best offensive lineman, and he was, what was it, 40 years old? I know he was 40-plus, whatever his age was. And they just essentially were like, well, we had the guy backing him up. Just We're going to have him step into that role and just do it full-time. You're going to see kind of a downtick at that position naturally. I don't think it's all of a sudden that this note boom is going to step in and just be a Whitworth light or better, or as of, I should say, it's hard to be better than Whitworth, to be honest. Just you're not going to see it seamlessly go fine and everything's great and dandy at that position. It's it, They're going to have some pains. You would think at least, especially when it comes to Bill's case, early in the season, there's going to be some growing pains with those changes at the offensive line. And realistically, that's all we care about right now. And that is somewhere, as we'll talk about the game and the keys and all things, that I think is going to be highlighted in that game with this Rams team moving forward. There is going to be a lot of differences noticed between that team we saw in February lifting that trophy and now. And I definitely think it's going to be a little bit eye-opening to the more casual fan that this team is not the Super Bowl team that won it. And there is going to be, 
an interesting ride with this Rams team this season because, again, big blue chips. But after that, man, it is a lot of role players. Like you would really want to build Belichick in there that knows exactly how to get every ounce of talent out of every role player he can. And this is going to be this is going to be a big, big year for McVay. This is going to show just how good of a coach and man manager he is and how good his staff is, because I feel like he's at least had enough blue chips and then good players elsewhere that could hide the deficiencies for the most part. Once in a while, he'd get exploited by the Cardinals or whatever it was in a, you know, an off 34, 17 loss that just Stafford wasn't having a good day. But I think this is a year where coaching is really going to have to step up and kind of do a really good job of getting the most out of their players because there's a lot of those kinds of guys that you have to do that or else they're going to have some problems moving forward. So let's talk about McVay for a second because he is, I think, one of, if not the best offensive minds in the league right now. And he is 5-0 and in openers for whatever that's worth. And, you know, Openers can be luck of the draw. Like Sean McDermott's three and two in openers, and he's never beat a team that's not the Jets because they've been fortunate enough to play the Jets three times in their openers. You know, I, I know McVay had a win over the Andy Dalton Bears. They had a, a win over the Colts team that found out a week before the season started that Andrew Luck wasn't going to be able to play, and there was just chaos. So, you know, that is it's a small sample size, but it's at least something to keep in mind. But he did bring. Jared Goff, a Jared Goff led offense to the Super Bowl and along the way beat Drew Brees in the Superdome. That means something to me. I think despite their offensive line uncertainties, that McVay is certainly capable of scheming around it and making it an efficient, if not very good offense. And the talent is certainly there. Um, you know, no matter what you think about Allen Robinson, I, I would agree with you. He is not the explosive playmaker of Beckham. But this is also going to be the best quarterback he's had in his career by far. So we'll see what happens there. Stokes, when you're looking at this from a Bills defensive standpoint against the Rams offense, I think there's really two ways you can look at it. And as a Bills fan, it kind of depends. Like, do you want to be in a good mood or a bad mood? So, like, if you want to be in a bad mood, if you want to have a negative look on it, you think about the fact that no Tredavious White, you're going to be rolling out there a rookie cornerback opposite Dane Jackson. And Dane Jackson, you know, at this point in time, is nothing more than a baseline starter at cornerback against Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup. And that seems like a matchup that Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford can take advantage of. If you want to look at it from a Bills fan and be happy, we talked about the offensive line issues, specifically at left tackle and right guard, where, by the way, those are the positions that are going to be responsible for, for blocking Vaughn Miller and Ed Oliver. So Stokes, where is your head at with this matchup? Is this something where you think the cornerbacks could be exposed by the bills or the offensive line could be exposed by the bills defense? Because to me, I think at least when the Rams offense is on the field, that that juggling of strength between can the bills defensive line take advantage of a, a mismatch to them or if they can't, will the Rams be able to take advantage of a mismatch that's presented to them is really going to decide that side of the ball success. Um, I'm really expecting that um, McVay is going to put whatever cornerbacks we have out there into positions where they have to make decisions, whether it's with a play action or how they do their route combinations, like how they how they line up Cup and, and Allen Robinson and how they move them around. Um, I think that 
that's what they're going to do as as far as trying to attack the defense because there there isn't much that they're going to be able to do with the uh, with the front four as far as scheming. They they know Von Miller pretty well, so um, you would think that they know his quote unquote weaknesses, whatever whatever they are perceived to be. Um, he's good against the run. He's good against the pass. This is this, that's Von Miller. Um, but I I think that a lot of their game works because they do a whole lot of stuff that looks similar and it can just be completely different the next time the next time it's run so i i'm, I'm expecting that between whether it's Kyrie or christian out there uh, they're going to be in positions where they have to make um either pre-snap or post-snap reads and they're going to have to make the decision and they'll probably be in like a, a read option position where whatever decision you make is the wrong one because they have whatever they're doing and whatever the backup is to whatever, however you react. So um, w- one thing that we, we don't really see out of McVay's teams is they don't usually get bottled up. Um, I know they did in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Um, I mean, golf probably had a lot to do with that, but having a guy like Stafford, who's got all the arm talent in the world, um, he can make every throw out there and they've got, you know, good players um, and, and Cup, he's seemingly unstoppable. So I, I would expect that a lot of this game is going to come down to the corners. And we're, we're losing that matchup on paper. And it's just going to be a matter of how those guys react to whatever types of things uh, McVeigh is, is, is thinking about doing um, to attack. So, so, Luca, this is a team that, with your familiarity with the Cardinals, you're certainly familiar with how they run their offense. I think back to that 2020 game against the Bills, where the Bills came out to a huge lead. I think it was 28 to 3. Sorry, Falcons fans. <clears throat> and then the Rams battled their way back. And you think in a situation where you battle your way back from 28 to 3 that it's all based on the arm of the quarterback. But what I remember about that game is McVay really committed to the running game. And it was those play action and misdirection passes that really ate the Bills up because they had to overcommit to stopping the run. And I think that's where a lot of us really started seeing some leaks in the run defense with Starla Tulele. Well, Starla Tulele didn't play during the COVID year, excuse me, but just some leaks in the run defense in general. So I'm wondering, Luca, when you look at this game, because I do think one thing they're going to try to do to offset the Bills pass rush, which any team would do, is try to establish the run. The Bills have a reputation as a team that's not overly physical up front. Uh, They're a team that can be had against the run if you go by previous data. We know the Bills have taken some pretty extreme steps this offseason to revamp their defensive line on the interior to beef up their run defense. Do you expect, one, the Rams to come out and give a steady diet of the run and B, how do you expect guys like Tim settle Daquan Jones and Jordan Phillips to rise to the challenge? Yeah, the Rams definitely. So it's always interesting going into those week one games. You would imagine that most teams or if not all teams kind of have to go off what they saw the previous year because you don't really have any tape. You don't have any insider information on what the team is trying to accomplish or what their good and or weaknesses are going forward into this year. So you have to go off what you have. They don't know what Tim Settle and Daquan Jones look like in this defense at all. There's nothing that shows what they are capable of for them. So yes, I do believe the Rams are going to try to exploit that, hopefully exploit that run and just build on it and go at it. What I will also add to that is my history of knowing the Rams is the the counter to that for the Bills honestly can even be something offensively if they can get this game out of hand quick i think that bills game that you referenced and i just wanted to make sure i don't forget this 
it was kind of an outlier understanding McVeigh and the Rams and what they do because McVeigh has this crazy tendency to just completely abandon the run when the game gets out of hand, like even to a point of it's too damn early in the game to do such a thing of getting rid of your game plan. Like all of a sudden you find yourself down 21-3 mid-second and he's like, oh, no, 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 we're going to be throwing it 60 times. We're going to just chuck it all around, get the ball to Cooper, at least 15 targets. Like all of a sudden it's just the playbook doesn't matter. He's just calling the things that pop up in his head that he likes. It's it's remarkable to me because, yes, I'm not disrespecting McVay. McVay is a phenomenal coach. It's crazy to me as someone as good as him would just abandon a game plan like that a lot. Um I think that Bills game in 2020 was kind of an outlier. But yes, going now back into this game, I do think they're going to want to establish the run. With whoever they have, they want to be able to control the line of scrimmage and try to just make sure that the pass rush of the Bills and just everything going on is not able to just kind of pin their ears back and go. They want to be able to just kind of keep keep you honest, do what they can, and ultimately have the clock moving and making sure Josh Allen isn't on the field because he's the best player other than maybe Aaron Donald in that stadium that day. And, and obviously, obviously that's a debate between Aaron Donald and Josh Allen. I just want to put out. There. I mean, I don't know. Oh. He, he was ranked behind three Rams players on the NFL top 100 list. So maybe he's just an average player on that field. We, we don't have to get into that one too much, but um, yeah, it's, that's definitely what they want to do now. Again, to your second point there, Settle and Daquan are going to definitely have a different say on all of that. I def, I want Bills fans to understand, and I'm more on the settle train than anything else. He is going to cause havoc, and his he's going to eat crap up. I I would be shocked if this is not what happens. He's going to eat everything that comes up in the middle. So it's really going to just come down to will the Rams be able to run on the perimeter and be able to get outside the tackle box with their run game of any kind because it's not going to happen up the middle, which is normally where our biggest weakness has been. Teams have been able to just pound it right down the middle, just have these running backs just go straight forward. Essentially. They're not even going off, you know, behind the guard. Let's say they are just going right down the throat and able to kill us in that manner. Settle and Daquan and mainly in my opinion, settle will not allow that to happen. It's going to just be, how are you going to get around these mammoth human beings that are just swallowing everything up? And I think they're going to have a very successful time just limiting everything that the run game has to be. So then, yes, the Rams are probably going to find themselves not being as successful as they would hope with that run game. And ultimately, McVay's passing game is going to have to get really creative, which we, as you referenced, they can do with a lot of you know pre-snap motion, a lot of just whatever they need to do to get those matchups how they want them, they have the ability to do this. I'm not saying that this is something that we will then be able to game plan for and just shut down as well, but I do think they're not going to be as successful in that run game because Settle and Daquan are a big, big, big improvement to that front line there for the defensive side of the ball. I'm so excited to see Daquan Jones in this defense. I love Tim Settle, too. I'm super excited about, I mean, that highlight of him just bull rushing Quentin Nelson in the preseason. We all remember that. But I am just excited for this run defense in general because we know what Groot can do on the edge. He needs to develop more as a pass rusher, but he was a plug-and-play, top-notch run defender, fresh out of the box as a rookie. And then you add Daquan Jones to Ed Oliver, who's an improving run defender, and then Von Miller. If this front four can contain the run 
and allow Edmonds and Milano to play free. We saw in the Titans game last year when they couldn't stop the run and Edmonds and Milano had to cheat up every time there was play action and it was play action, AJ Brown, play action, Julio Jones. It was just nauseating to watch. If this defensive line can contain the run almost on their own and allow Edmonds and Milano to do what they do best, which is drop into coverage and and get into those passing lanes, I think it could be a long day for Stafford. And that's where I want to go to next is I want to ask both of you, really, the, the question I'm going to ask before I set it up, it's going to come down to, do you consider Matt Stafford to be an elite quarterback? And the reason I'm asking is some of the numbers on him are a little concerning. I think he's a guy that was just drafted by an awful team. But even when you look at him with the Rams last year, he did He was tied for the league lead in interceptions last year with 17. And then the Rams, now this stat is kind of almost like a, well, duh. He was, the Rams were three and three in games where Stafford threw multiple interceptions. Now that's one of those stats where you're like, well, yeah, your quarterback throws multiple interceptions. It's going to be hard to win those games. It does happen though. And the Rams were also three and three versus teams that finished top 10 in defensive DVOA last year. So I'll go ahead and explain what that means. Just so, just for context, the Bills finished first, so they would be in that top 10, obviously. DVOA is a calculation of team success based on the down and distance of each play during the season, and it calculates much more or less successful, how much more or less successful each team is compared to the league average. So in that case, the Bills would be considered the top DVOA team, and Stafford obviously struggled against that. I think Stafford is the kind of player that even on his best day is going to give the Bills defensive backs opportunities to squeeze the ball and intercept it, maybe one or two. And those are situations that we've seen Hyden Poyer take advantage of. Can we expect Taron Johnson, Dane Jackson, and Kair Elam and Christian Benford to squeeze those in? That could be the difference in the game. We've seen interceptions go through Tremaine Edmonds' hands more often than him picking them off in his career. So I think that, you know, we analyze this game, we analyze the matchups. A lot of times in the NFL, it really does come down to turnovers. I think the Bills defense is going to have an opportunity to get a couple with Stafford. It's a matter of whether they can squeeze them in or not and take advantage of it. But I let it off with this question, and I'm going to kick it over to you, Stokes, with this question. Do you consider Stafford to be an elite quarterback in this league? Uh, I think that elite is... I think he'd be outside of it if I had to uh, uh, put put quarterbacks in rankings. I have Brady Mahomes, um, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers. Like those would probably be the the okay, obviously elite guys. Um, and then Stafford would be in in the line of Russell Wilson, uh, Joe Burrow. Um, and he would be in that um, range as far as guys that I, w- I would consider. They're very good, and obviously guys you can win win big with. Um, but he's he's the, he's a guy that can make every throw on the field, and he knows he can make every throw on the field. So he's the type of guy that's going to be in, in a similar mold of Josh Allen where he's going to try and make that throw that eh, maybe maybe a DB can get it, but I'm going to put I'm going to throw it to where I think my guy can get it too, and I'm going to trust my guy rather than the DB. And if the DB makes a play on it, then okay, he made a play good on him. Um, but when, when you're talking about 
um, close games and you know, these coin flip games, it, oftentimes it comes down to the turnover battle. And if you give the defense one extra, or I'm sorry, if you give the offense one extra possession, then that could be the difference between a win and a loss. And I, I he played a lot of close games in Detroit, and I mean Detroit was is just a tire fire in general. But um, I, it's it's just just in his DNA. And I don't think that that's something that McVay has tried to coach out of him because he, I think he, he prefers a guy that's going to try and make a play because of being aggressive is just part of what they want to be. And um, it's, it's, it's a stark contrast with Jared Goff, who's maybe he wanted to be aggressive, but he can't make that throw that Stafford can make. Luca, where are you at on Stafford? Stokes put it well. He's he's outside the elite category. Um, Stafford's definitely a guy that can win you a game, though. Like, I, I want to make sure I put that point out there first and foremost. He's shown that he has done that with, as Stokes put it, a tire fire Detroit team. But also, Stafford can lose you games, too. Stafford's kind of, he's not that, like, classic gunslinger, but he can turn into a gunslinger and just... If he's having an off day, he's still going to try to put it in those same windows that he would try on a good day, and it's just going to continually, continuously build on the negative day that he's having and eventually cost that team. That's kind of where I put him at this point. And then the other parts of it is, you know, we have we've heard about the deteriorating uh, arm that is what he's dealing with at this moment in time, or whatever McVeigh is painting that picture as right now. Um, it's called age, and I think age is finally catching up to a hard-throwing player like Matt Stafford. He's had basically one of the, if not at certain points in time, the you know biggest arm in the league, and it's going to happen. I mean, just age happens, and if you're throwing an object, you see it in, you know, it just in a weird kind of comparison here. You see it with pitchers as well. All of a sudden, they have some arm damage that comes up because they continuously were throwing over a hundred miles per hour or whatnot. Stafford has been throwing a hard ball for over a decade now. And eventually his body has just been like, Hey dude, you're destroying us in here. You're not going to have that fastball anymore. You got to figure it out another way because it's just not happening anymore. That's kind of where I think Stafford is hitting at this point of his career. Luckily for him, he got his Super Bowl ring. So I think the pressure of his career or what his legacy may be in his mind is less concerning to him. And if his play were to deteriorate, I don't think it's going to affect him as much as it may have if he didn't have that ring, kind of just to talk about the player himself. But in the conversation of being elite, I don't think he's ever really been at that point. And he can win you a game, but he can lose you a game. And those stats and the numbers that you put out there kind of reflect that as well. Like he can do good things, but also he's not that guy like Josh Allen, where even on a bad day, he can turn it around in a half of a game. You know, let's talk about Tampa Bay real quick. In one half of a game, just go out there and just be a one man show dominating and all of a sudden put you put you in a position put your team in a position to win that game even though at halftime it looked like you were probably going to lose by 35 Stafford's not that guy he's never really been that guy maybe on the fluke you know any given Sunday he could but he's never been that guy that can really take over and just be an elite top five quarterback at any point in his career I want to spin it over to when the Bills have the ball against the Rams defense. But one last thing I want to point out 
about the Bills defense. It is a domino effect of missing Trey White because I think the first thing you think of is, okay, who's going to play that cornerback spot that Trey White vacates? And, you know, if Elam or Benford can hold up well, maybe it's not that big of a loss, but there is a domino effect. Uh, Taron Johnson is widely considered to be one of the best nickelbacks in the league, and he is going to be that player that draws Cooper Cup more often than not since Taron Johnson plays the slot. It is notable that per PFF, six of Taron Johnson's eight worst graded games last year were the six games after Trey White's injury. So you can kind of figure that out in your own mind, like Hyde and Poyer, when when White's out there, they can they can ignore his side of the field. They can trust him to do what he's doing. They can combo coverage to other areas of the field, which includes giving help to guys like Taron Johnson that wasn't available to him in the second half of the year after Thanksgiving last year, and you saw his numbers take a little bit of a dip. That'll be something to monitor. Let's spin it around to the other side of the ball, and there really are two elite players on that defense that we need to talk about, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. I want to start with Ramsey because I think when you think about Jalen Ramsey and an elite cornerback, you think, okay, well, he's going to just man up on digs and somebody else is going to have to take advantage of their matchup. I don't anticipate that being the game plan. Jalen Ramsey did not, under Raheem Morris last year, shadow as much as he'd done in the past. And the most he shadowed last year actually happened in the playoff game against Tampa Bay, where he shadowed Mike Evans 69% of the snaps. But if you remember that Tampa Bay game, they were so beaten up on offense. Antonio Brown had left the team already. Chris Godwin was out. So there really was nobody else to guard on the boundary. So it would only make sense to have Ramsey do that. Even in the Super Bowl, Ramsey did not shadow Chase. He actually got beat by Higgins on a really long play coming out of halftime. So I don't anticipate Ramsey shadowing digs, but I do want to kick it over to you, Stokes, on this one. Am I misreading this? Do you think it's a situation where the Rams are going to say, hey, Ramsey, you go take digs and we'll worry about the uh, the secondary weapons? Or do you think it's going to be more of a whoever's lined up on Ramsey is the one that gets him? Um, I think it'll probably be a product of how the game is going. I can see if uh, if Diggs if, if they're doing where he's playing his side, and then if Diggs is not over there, he's not going to follow him. If Diggs has gone for you know seventy five and a touchdown in the first half, I can see the same. Okay, Jalen, we're going to need you to to switch things up and just follow follow Diggs around. Um, because at at this point they're still trying to figure out the the new things about their own team because most people are most teams are playing vanilla and in the in the preseason so they're still trying to figure out what they want to do um, defensively so I I could foresee them playing just one their straight punch um, and then if Diggs is doing well they'll throw the counter out there which is trying to see if Jalen can erase Diggs and then if forcing um, the Bills to try to do something else. To, to, to be effective offensively. So that's that's what I would expect personally. Um, I know that with Diggs being one of the best wide receivers in football, I could I could I could see Jalen re- requesting, I guess, to, to just follow around uh, Diggs because that's that's the type of guy he is. Um, but I, I think that you know, still coming off the Super Bowl, they're 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 going to be feeling themselves in that way that well, we're good no matter what. So and and just going with what the defense is is, is being asked of them. One other thing they could do is they could put Ramsey on Davis and then double team digs. That's some strategy you see with boundary corners. I don't think that's going to happen either. 
Luca, I know you're not probably as high on Ramsey as most. I know you think he's really good, but you've said that he's not necessarily somebody you thinks is as good as he thinks he is. Would Ramsey versus Diggs be a matchup that you'd shy away from at all if you were Josh Allen? Not one bit. I I I would trust Diggs's abilities on and then Allen's arm and everything else on top of it to be able to just handle that absolutely fine. And and I say that because there's there's conversation and I'll pull this Ramsey conversation to another elite NFL wide receiver when DeAndre Hopkins has to face off against Jalen Ramsey and Jalen Ramsey hypes up that game and that matchup all the time. Obviously it's inner division. He sees it twice a season. So, well, if Hopkins is available slat, you know, basically meaning if he's not suspended and, or if he's healthy, but when that matchup happens, I don't see a fall off with DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins actually does dirty to Ramsey. The only problem is like there might be one play where Kyler just completely put the ball in the wrong position or just couldn't get it there quick enough for DeAndre Hopkins. And you can clearly see that Nuke is just not really expecting it to be wherever it is, whether it's timing or location. And then Ramsey's able to be that freak athlete that he is and make a play on the ball, whether it's picking it off or at least just, you know, messing up the play itself and interfering with the with the pass. I don't think you'll see that problem with Diggs and Allen. One, the chemistry is phenomenal, and you can say everything about that. But Diggs' ability to create separation out of absolutely nothing, create separation in a phone booth, essentially, and then Allen's freakish arm and just no ball will get fast. No ball will travel faster than one that is coming off of Josh Allen's arm. I think Jalen Ramsey is not exactly a matchup that I – would think that those two are going to fear by any means or change their thought process and game plan. They're going to attack what they attack when they attack it. It's nothing will change and nor do I think that they should change. It's Jalen Ramsey is a good, he's a great corner. Okay. I'm as you said, I might not be as high on him as maybe the consensus is, but he's still a very, very good corner in this league. He's still one of the top corners. I just feel like people pump him up and say he's the undisputed best at times, and that's just not the case. I see DeAndre Hopkins. I can see a digs, and I think we'll see it then. You know, you see these top-tier receivers always get at him, and even then, he kind of like, it seems like it doesn't even take the elite wide receiver to get at him on top of that. I You would never see that in a Jarrell Rivas era. You would never see that in a Patrick Peterson era. Those guys, when at the time they were regarded, Richard Sherman even, you know, for his era, you would never see those guys get beat by any of them. And if, say, we were talking about Patrick Peterson in the mid-2010s or, you know, Rivas in his era or Richard Sherman in his time, you would have to game plan around that. There was a reason that people didn't throw to their sides. You would game plan around those guys because they would never had a playoff. They were never able to really get beat for whatever their skill sets were. I think Jalen Ramsey can get beat. I think Allen and Diggs can just do their thing and the opportunities will be there. Yes, maybe Ramsey steps it up one play or two and you just hopefully didn't have that playoff, we'll call it. You didn't accidentally put it inside when you needed to put it outside the numbers, whatever it may be. Other than that, though, I think it's nothing to fear, nothing to shy away from, and just attack the game you know how to do it because you are, 
regarded as one of the best quarterbacks and you're regarded as one of the best wide receivers in the case of Allen and Diggs for a reason. So don't fear from, don't fear anyone. Don't shy away from anything. Just do your thing. And if, if, if Jalen steps up props to him, but I don't think it's something to be a concern of. The thing about the bills that makes them so hard to defend is a lot of teams, not a lot of teams. There's not a lot of Stefan Diggs out there, but a lot of teams that have that type of receiver that is that 1A alpha, they just don't have the secondary options the Bills have. And if a team like the Rams, no matter how they want to dedicate their resources to stopping Diggs, the Bills will have no problem throwing the ball to a Dawson Knox or a Gabriel Davis or Isaiah McKenzie or Jamison Crowder or even James Cook and Devin Singletary out of the backfield. Or if everybody's covered up, then Josh Allen can run for a 30-yard touchdown. There's just so many ways for this Bills team to beat you that on defense, you almost have to hope they make a mistake. And that's what's so beautiful about watching them play. I do want to ask both of you what the magic number is you think the Bills have to get to on offense for you to feel comfortable they can win this game. But really quickly, we have to have an Aaron Donald conversation. We all know he's great. Stokes, I'm going to give you the easiest question I've ever given you. But just if you could, you know, take 30 seconds a minute. What is it about Aaron Donald that just makes him such a great player? I think the most important thing is that he just dominates quickly off the ball. It's like he he's under undersized for a defensive tackle. Most defensive tackles are six three, six four type of, um, but he's six foot one, I believe, and he's so quick off the ball, and um, he gets under the larger def- the offensive lineman. And he play because he's so quick. He can attack either either shoulder really quickly, and he 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 can um, if he needs to get inside uh, to get to the quarterback more quickly. He can do that, or he can he can bull rush because he's so powerful. I think that that's why he is so difficult to game plan is because they can't like with with speed guys on the edge. You can say, okay, well, just you know, just shuffle out quickly. You can beat them to the edge. With um, Aaron Donald, he he can beat you with speed. He can beat you with a power rush, and I think that that is part of it. It's one of the small things that makes him uh, as dominant as he is. And it, they they talk about the way he fights with his hands as well. Like he's he is so great with his and now with his technique that it's just really really incredible to watch him play. And I mean, I could watch um, Aaron Donald play defensive tackle all day, every day, because he's just, he's, he's, a, he's a marvel to watch because of how dominant he is. And he does it um, in many different ways. And, and because of as good as he is, he, he does oftentimes run himself out of place. And that's what defenses have to do at times because he is, he always wants to make the game changing play and you could run like a, like a draw or a trap play and he's going to run himself out of it because he may not have the same gap integrity because his, his, Game plan in his mind is havoc. His, his he's just there to create havoc and not necessarily, I'm um to have gap integrity. I'm covering both a gaps or whatever or the b gap. Um, but he's out there. I'm going to try and get the ball. I'm trying to get the quarterback. I'm trying to get anybody who has the ball. And he doesn't always, you know, stay into what he, what quote unquote the defense expects him to do. All right. Well, I think if the Bills get to 27 points, I, I like their chances a lot of winning. Just real quick, Luca, do you have a magic number in your mind of what the Bills need to get to? I will say my magic number is 30. 
just a nice even number. 27 is a good one, but I definitely think 30. 30 is the one where I'm definitely like, okay, comf- I don't want to say comfortable, but that's the one where I'd expect to win if you can hit that number, yes. Stokes, what number would you sign for offensively where you feel like, okay, the Bills are going to win this game? Yeah, uh, 30, 31, 30, 31, either one of those, I, I, I'd feel pretty confident that the Bills have played well enough to uh, offensively – both, you know, holding the ball, keeping the keeping the Rams off the field, and um, also playing well enough defensively. Well, we've done a game preview, and I have not told Luca or Stokes this, but I'm going to have them both tell me who wins this game and why. That is coming up right after we kick it around the league, so both of you can think about your answer real quick. We do have some around the NFL scores before we get to our game predictions around the NFL scores, around the NFL news. Um, so Harold Landry, a standout pass rusher for the Titans is out for the year. And that is huge. The bills played them week two and just a bad off season for the Titans has gone worse. Another bills impacted injury situation. Byron Jones, the standout cornerback for the dolphins was put on the reserve pup list, much like Tredavious white. He will miss the first four games of the year. And that does include a matchup with the bills when the bills travel to South Florida in week three. A strange situation in San Francisco when it seemed all but a foregone conclusion that Jimmy G would be on the move. He is staying put in San Francisco as a backup quarterback and actually got a new deal to do so. I don't know if that shows a lack of belief in Trey Lance. Maybe there was a lack of market for Jimmy G, but this San Francisco team that firmly believes they're in a championship window was not willing to let go of their insurance policy at quarterback. And then former Buffalo Bill, 40-year-old Jason Peters looks to be on his way to becoming a Dallas Cowboy to help ease the blow of losing standout tackle Tyron Smith for the season. Uh, Right now, it looks like first-round pick Tyler Smith is projected to start at left tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, and he gets his welcome to the NFL moment against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers week one. So we'll see how that goes for Mr. Tyler Smith. All right, guys, game coming up on Thursday. We have a couple minutes left on this podcast. Let's get some predictions out there. Luca, I'm going to start with you. I know you and I predicted this game last week on our season preview. Days have gone by. Thoughts have gone by. Maybe we've changed our opinions. Who wins this game and why coming up on Thursday? No, nothing's changed. My mind hasn't changed on this game for months even. Uh, Bills are going to win this game. Even with the score of 32 to 20, just mark it down. Do you want to bet correct score people? I bet you it's probably like plus 1100 or something. Why not throw a nice cool hundred dollars on it? Win you some money. Um, no, I, I think they win. And, and it's primarily, I think, because we are going to be able to control the line of scrimmage defensively. And I don't think they're going to be able to control as much as they want to with the run game. So they're going to have to get creative with the pass game. Yes, they'll find some success in that. But overall, I think we'll be able to do enough defensively to limit their opportunities as much as we can. And then this offense will give that defense fits. Donald and Ramsey are great players. And then even uh, Bobby Wagner is over there. Other than that, though, man, nothing is scaring me. And as you pointed it out, I believe it was, we have a lot of weapons. We have a lot of options and we can beat you a lot of different ways to the point of they just don't have enough people to match up with what we got going on. Aaron Donald can ruin some days and you know some entire games but there's only so much that one man can do against an offense as well you know spread out as this is and eventually we will be able to overcome everything and yeah like i said 32 20 bills win 
seasons opened up and we are uh, giving everyone a nice little notice of this is why we're betting favorites. I'm glad you brought up Bobby Wagner. He's certainly somebody that should have been mentioned in the defensive preview. A standout from Seattle gets his chance to go to the Rams. All right, Stokes, coming up on Thursday, who wins this game and why? I'm going to go with the Bills as well. Um, I, I feel like this team is just too well built for situations like this. I think that everything that happened last year, I, I think that they're going to feel like this could have been what what we saw last year if we if we played them. So I think they're they're going to go out and you know realize that every game is super important. Like the uh, the Jags game last year that we lost, it, it was the difference between a home and an away playoff game last year. So, I mean, it, we have to take every single game as importantly as possible. And I'm hoping and um, going to put my money more where my mouth is and go with the Bills to win the game. Um, I, I just feel like the, the rosters, they're, they're just not the same. And as far as the top goes, you have Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, all those those guys are really, really good. But as as we've mentioned throughout this, um, the rest of the roster is not as well equipped um, for anything that the Bills are going to have for them. So I'm, I'm expecting the Bills to, to win the game. And I'm hoping that it's a good game, but I still I'm hoping that the Bills win it pretty handily. I'd be just fine with the Bills blowout win. That's not what I'm predicting. I am predicting a Bills victory. I think it'll be comfortable, not a blowout. I think the Bills win by about 10 points. I really like Isaiah McKenzie and Gabriel Davis in this game. I also sneakily like the Bills running game in this game. I think there'll be a tendency by the Rams, what we saw a lot of teams do to the Bills down the stretch last year was do their best to focus on taking away the passing lanes, force Josh Allen to run, which I don't know how much he'll be willing to do so. I think there'll be some yards to gain there for Devin Singletary, maybe even Zach Moss, and then James Cook. We'll see how much he's involved. Give me the Bills 30 to 20. They, they kind of come out and they put their stamp on the first game of this season. Gabriel Davis, first touchdown of the year. Dawson Knox also gets into the end zone for his brother, Luke. All right, guys, Stokes, thanks for hopping on. Uh, we, we definitely appreciate you always being there anytime we throw up the bat signal. Uh, I, lo- I love being here. Was, were those some DFS plays I hear there, Josh? <laughs> well, you know me, and if you ever want some mediocre DFS plays that are guaranteed to not work out, listen to my advice. All right, well, we will keep our ear to the ground on all Bill's news, and we would like for you to keep it glued to the built-in Buffalo podcast network the rest of this week. We will get you ready for Bills and Rams coming up this Thursday. And Luca and I will be back next Monday to talk about everything that happened in week one of the NFL, including hopefully a big Bills win. We'll see you then.